Welcome to Profiles. Welcome to Profiles. A monthly podcast featuring industry disruptors. Tune in to hear the stories of people who weren't afraid to dream big, take chances, and shake things up. Hello and welcome to Promo Corner's podcast, Profiles, where we'll be talking with industry disruptors to get their take on the world of promotional products and how they're shaking things up. I'm your host, Steve Woodburn, and we appreciate your taking time out of your busy day to schedule time with us. If you could choose to live anywhere in the world and still be able to run your promotional products business, where might you go? Somewhere in Europe? The Caribbean? Perhaps South America? Or maybe the Middle East? This month's guest on Profiles chose Bali as the place he spends eight months of each year running his unique promotional products company. But why this small island situated between Australia and the Asian continent? From a, from a product sourcing side, I mean, it's great. I mean, so we have, we have a large team in the Philippines. Uh, so being on the same time zone as them and uh, like a two-hour flight to Manila is great. Um, being a four-and-a-half-hour four flight to China, also great. Being the same time zone. Um, those are like the answers I, I give to most people when I'm talking about like why the business side, but to be honest, it's lifestyle. Like I, I also just love living here. Um, nowadays, you know, there's no, we're, we're, we're middlemen <laughs> as a distributor. So there's no reason not to, there's no reason not to, you know, you know, I, I, everything's super cheap. I live with a ton of amazing other entrepreneurs and friends. There's tons of infrastructure. It's super westernized in Bali. It's very easy to have a great life here. Um, so yeah, I'm young. Might as well live it up in, in Bali while I can. Our guest is 25-year-old Isaac Hetzroni, the founder of Imprint Genius, a distributor that's not your typical promotional products company in any way. Born in Toronto and raised in Miami, Isaac comes from a family of entrepreneurs and started his sales career in middle school selling stuff to other students. But it was in college when he found Promo. I got into the industry by accident. Um, I started selling uh, these little cell phone fans that plug into your phone that now they're in the industry. I started selling them at uh, fraternity parties my freshman year of college at the University of Florida. Um, then that turned into a whole, uh, cell phone fan business where we were selling them, you know, through e-commerce and selling them to on campuses across the country. Um, it kind of, it grew pretty quick, you know, in my freshman dorm room. And then we started getting custom requests for the, the fan. Um, essentially my old hometown had the idea of, Hey, this might be a great promotional product. Maybe you can customize them. Um, so we ran, you know, a custom order for about 2000 pieces and I was like, wow, this, this is cool. Like I can sell these in bulk as a promo item. Um, and then I started marketing it as that. So I started as a, I guess, a single product, uh, promotional products company, um, having no idea what the industry was. And because no one in the industry was selling that product yet, it was kind of unique. Right. Um, but I didn't understand, I didn't know what distributor was, what a supplier was. Um, and then just built my business all on direct sourced, unique promotional products. We built up customer base of people saying, you know, this is such a cool product. Do you have any other cool gadgets? And my, the fact that my dad owns a factory in China, I grew up going to China, understanding, you know, how to source products about, you know, electronics, any kind of manufacturing. So for me to go and, you know, procure other cool, unique products that were kind of not normally seen in the industry. Uh, wasn't wasn't too difficult and then only about a year into the business is when I 
finally like joined ASI and learned about how everything actually works. Um, and then I was able to uh, kind of build my distributorship on, I guess, with a different, with, with different lenses on. Isaac's company is Imprint Genius, and if you look at his website, you might be confused because there's not a promotional product to be seen. And why is that? I mean, the biggest thing is is to be different. I mean, there's, what, 20,000 distributors or something like that in the U.S. Um, and for the most part, you know, everyone's selling the same thing, you know. Uh, you know, there's obviously different ways to spin it, and there's different ways to be successful in the industry. But I really wanted to, you know, take things very differently and, and look at things very differently in order to be able to kind of stand out in the sea of options that a lot of you know companies have. So uh, we all and we're also going after you know a, a different customer segment as well. So while we we still do a lot of you know mid market enterprise corporate merch and that kind of stuff, we also service the e commerce um, aggregator and kind of procurement market. So servicing uh, and creating more goods that are being resold. Uh, and that's been a really fun, interesting space that I really like. And in order for us to attract that market and sell to that market as well, we needed a website that um, portrayed the, the the needs of, uh, of what these like larger e-commerce brands kind of want while also being able to service our existing, you know, promotional product type customers. What you will find is a homepage highlighting smart sourcing, a buzzword that he made up. It's kind of what I was, what I was referring to in regards to, you know, you can either work with someone, a sourcing agent or a sourcing agency on a uh, project basis, right? So, okay, I'm going to get you this product at, this price at this time, right? Or no, let's look at your whole program. Let's look at all your products. Let's look at what your intent is for the product. And let's try to design a program um, around it. So I think a lot of the best, you know, the best efficiencies that come with the, um, with inventory projections, planning, shipping, logistics. Um, yeah, lowering, lowering, uh, if there's US labor costs, can we lower, lower costs and do different things overseas? Like um, a, a perfect example is that like we do, we're doing a ton of kidding overseas um, instead of doing it domestically. And, and the, you know, kidding is such a big part of kind of the, the, the industry right now. Uh, but the labor costs, you know, make it so expensive to kit and it becomes a logistical nightmare as well. So moving a lot of that kind of stuff overseas has been like a, an example of smart sourcing, right? Looking at things of the pro, uh, looking at things from a program basis. Isaac is truly a disruptor in our industry, working to help his customers buy promo differently. From asking a ton of questions to offering unique concepts, on-demand products, and sustainability, Isaac ensures his customers get what they need to up their game. So how does he find customers and what makes a perfect customer? Mostly ads. We have, we're, we're very strong uh, with inbound. Uh, so we got a ton of inbound leads. And then we do, yeah, we ha- we do some level of outbound, uh, but we scaled back our out. We had a much stronger outbound, and then we realized that, like, you know, inbound is kind of the way to go. So if you can if you can tr- craft really good ads and bring in customers that have high intent, it's way easier to they're way easier to sell to than the customers that you're cold calling and you know cold mailing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then yeah, and then obviously traditional going to trade show, shaking hands, meeting people, and. Um, yeah, that's kind of how we build our customer base. Our perfect customer on 
I'd say on the on the e-commerce side um, is a customer who's uh, like has a variety of brands. So we're going and we're not just sourcing for one of their companies. We're going to be sourcing for like, like we have uh, one customer that has 65 brands, right? So we're sourcing and, and helping produce the product across all of them. We're able to, you know, obviously if we need to use ASI type suppliers to do smaller orders and test that product, that's fantastic. But then we're also able to use our overseas network. Um, and then we're able to kind of look at the whole program as a whole, find the best suppliers, um, do consolidation, you know, in Asia, help with the whole supply chain aspect of things, right? So like, we're not just sourcing for one product and just looking at it from a product basis, like how can we design the whole supply chain and all the production um, on a consistent basis so that the inventory is being replenished um, and then, you know, create efficiencies across all the brands. That's that's what it looks like on that side. Um, and then on the promo side, it's, it's someone who um, is going to also embrace the fact that we have these overseas capabilities, uh, these unique products. Um, and then we have our own like on-demand swag store app uh, so that they're able to kind of utilize our tech, utilize our supply chain. Uh, it's kind of like a, a match made in heaven. Sustainability is a word we hear a lot these days, but not everyone interprets it the same. Sustainability is a really tricky thing, right? Because there's, there's sustainability in... Uh, the product and build and like construction and then there's sustainability in execution. So I would say that the biggest thing, the biggest issue the industry has is not necessarily uh, the consumption. Or I'm sorry, is, is the, the production aspects and the material break. Like, you, yes, if you can make things more sustainable material, that's fantastic. But our main issue is waste. The main issue is that majority of promotional products are being thrown out. Um, you know, I, I forget the exact stat, but it's like you have to use a canvas tote bag like a thousand times for it to equate to the the carbon effect of a plastic bag. So it's kind of that, that same idea, right? Can we create better programs, better systems for people to get merchandise that they're going to love that's quality and actually have them keep it, right, uh, and, and pass it down or whatever it is? That's how we solve sustainability within promotional products. And I think on-demand production and creating uh, really great like swag stores, and that's something you know, we've been super bullish on for a long time. Uh, I think that's a really great way to do it. Obviously, you have some issues with, okay, now you're shipping the goods and all that. All, you know, they're, they're, It's not a perfect world. But I think uh, if you're able to use things like on-demand, like through our app, we have 100,000 products available on-demand. You know, if you give people a lot of options, they hopefully can find something that they're actually going to want, and they're going to end up keeping in. And it it builds a, it it gets the what job done what we're looking to do in this whole industry. Um, and then on, on the on the retail side, I'd say that you know on the retail side, that's where it's going to be more on the um, more on the on, on the material composition piece because it's not being handed away people are having the choice to you know purchase what they want um, and that's how the industries are a little bit different you know but i think with all these new swag stores and that becomes such a big trend you know that's where the lines are really blurring between traditional retail e-commerce and promo some say entrepreneurs are born others claim they become that way because of circumstances or their compulsion to do things differently isaac believes for him it goes back to his family Oh, def- I would say definitely like my upbringing. Um, like everyone in my family is entrepreneurs. I was always from a super young age um, having my own businesses. I was selling I was selling gadgets out of my backpack like all through middle school. Like middle school, I had 17 kids working for me selling 
fake Beats by Dre headphones and sunglasses at like the around campus and uh, the the little hockey rink. So like I, I've always done it from a young age, um, and I think you know even like my so my, on my mom's side we had we actually have a, a we had a apparel factory like a small dance for factory in Toronto. So like on both sides of my family's manufacturing. Uh, when I was little, I would go and work for like a loony or a toonie a day in Canada, um, helping out the factory. And uh, I was so young that like when I would do the swatches for the fabrics, the threes and the fives were backwards, um, numbering them. So having uh, that kind of upbringing of like, first off, understanding like, oh, if I worked, I get like a loony and then I can take that. A loony is a dollar, by the way. If everyone America, yeah, Americans. Um, and I can take that dollar and I can buy like myself some candy or a toy. Like, uh, I think that whole like that whole concept was, and then all my family being very supportive. Um, yeah, gave me that like confidence to come in and be like, yeah, why not? Like, I'll start a business during college. I'll, I'll see how I can do this and keep on growing it. As someone who's doing things differently in an industry that has stayed pretty much the same for decades, what other areas does Isaac see that could be disrupted? I think I think a lot of like antiquated merch stores uh, need to need to go. Like companies going and having to buy half a million dollars in inventory for a comp- for them to have a nice selection of merchandise, and then them having. Sizes, sizing missing and I'm changing their logo they're changing the branding all the items become obsolete uh, they the brand that they use isn't cool anymore right so no one wants to get like I, I don't know a lot of from from like a, a customer experience standpoint I, I haven't heard of a lot of people utilizing a swag store that was 100% inventory based and being very happy with the product selection right the again they're just there's always limitations um when we're talking when, when we're dealing with uh inventory from like i mentioned like from the supplier side then having to hold inventory um from a you know company side so the more you know the more we can kind of tackle the, this on-demand piece and if we're all using it then that means we're gonna all get better technology and then create all better efficiencies and the price is, is going to get lower and lower and it's going to get more more and more obtainable with more automation um, I think that, um, yeah, it's going to create a better system overall. And I look, it's, it's nice to go, trust me, it's nice to go and get that $40,000 bulk promo order, you know, and, and just make that profit on it. Dealing with individual orders is a pain. Um, but you know, it, you want to create a, a customer experience. So I think hybrid base is, is really the best, right? So you have on demand and you mix that with inventory programming. Um, and batching sometimes on top of that and i think you can build a really strong program that way one of the biggest challenges both distributors and suppliers face today is shipping internationally and the huge cost of freight does isaac see ways to mitigate that it's tricky i mean um utilizing printers and decorators and suppliers in europe right and in asia if you can Right again, it's it's a it's a process to get it set up. I I would love to see some type of connection or affiliate network where ASI would help or PPAI could connect with you know like the European associations and then be able to you know kind of break that separation because no one in the U.S. knows how to get anything made in Europe. You know, it's kind of like but there are there are tons of suppliers out there, right? Um, 
I think that that's a big piece. Um, I think suppliers potentially also, even if it's like a US based supplier, like expanding into that market to be able to like if they, you know, if a PCNA goes and acquires, you know, I maybe they already have who knows, but acquires, you know, a big kind of European based uh, supplier ship and then allows for uh, servicing multiple offices. Um, and then yeah, but at the end of the day, right now, we do, you know, we just have to international ship from the u.s and it's it's not the perfect way to do things and it's kind of expensive but i I can't say that there's a perfect way to do it yet another thing is um which i'm trying to work on is like more shipping from china and warehousing in china so uh the chinese government subsidizes shipping that's how you can buy something on aliexpress for a dollar or 50 cents and it somehow arrives and everyone makes money right um so utilizing these kind of e-packet services and, and shipping services from China itself, I think is going to be, um, it, it can be pretty exciting for when you're trying to service um, outside of the U.S. Um, where you could have your U.S.-based product and warehousing and then, be, and then having a different product selection inventory-wise, let's say in China, and then allowing that to drop ship from there into the uh, whatever country. Given the massive changes in technology and buying habits over the last 25 years, does Isaac believe the businesses in our industry can continue to strictly be either a distributor or supplier? And do industry suppliers resent him for going direct? I think that, I guess, looking at the industry from like fresh eyes, um, it's the lines are getting blurred. And, you know, suppliers, even though they're not supposed to, like they're, they're like a lot of them are selling direct. Right. And, and to be honest, I think they should be like the industry started on a catalog based system, right? Like you needed the separation of the two suppliers. Yes. They need us to sell. There's no question. And there, there's, there's tons of benefit from the relationships. Right. But if us as distributors aren't truly providing value, right either to the supplier to sell, if the supplier is able to go and sell direct and create e-commerce systems so everything's more automated and easy, right? If we're not, and then if we're just now marking it up, so we're creating artificially increased prices for the end customer, like that's not, like it's a, we're in a free market, right? Like let efficiencies happen and let people adapt, right? And create value in other ways. And I think that, uh, and that, that's why I've been all obviously super bullish on product sourcing is because I think in the industry, like, you know, in the next five, 10 years, I think that most suppliers are just going to start selling direct. And then every, all the distributors are going to have to create more solutions, right? Be more design heavy, creative heavy, be more technology heavy, creating better technology in stores, right? Or, and start sourcing directly, right? The, the, and I think sourcing directly is is interesting, right? Because the whole model for the most part for most suppliers our suppliers that are breaking this right is that they're going and they're stocking goods domestically and then they're decorating as needed there are flaws with that model from a product selection standpoint from a risk standpoint so there are certain product types that are better to go direct to factories overseas uh example would be like athletic wear and shapewear right um and I mean, ultimately, it's going to, uh, and also more unique items, right? So 
I, I am like the cell phone fan, right? That if back in the day, these factor, uh, these suppliers, they were they were scared to take risks and take inventory. If this is going to be a fidget spinner, right? Type product, is this going to be a quick fad? But when you're doing kind of direct overseas stuff, uh, no one's taking the uh, inventory risk, right? So you can you can kind of offer more unique stuff. So I, I think there's that's a long winded que- uh, answer to to your question, but I I really think that things are changing very quickly and. You know, everyone's going to have to adapt and whatever happens, happens. I don't think they love it, right? But at the end of the day, like, it's not like we don't still work with our U.S. suppliers. Like, when it makes more sense to utilize them, we use them. It's not like we don't use them out of, like, spite. We, I still think there's a ton of value that suppliers bring to the to the space. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I don't say – I wouldn't say they give us too much too, – I, I would expect us them to, like, blacklist us or something like that or, like, give us a way harder time. But everyone in this industry is pretty nice, to be honest. Like, I don't have too much of a hard time. There's a lot of talk about moving away from Chinese manufacturing to diversify manufacturing sources. But Isaac believes that's easier said than done. It's very hard to source outside of China. Um, there's a lot of fantastic manufacturing hubs and countries um, around the world, but China, at least for our industry, which wants lower MLQs and they want faster turn times, no one has it like no, no one can do it like China. Right. So a lot of these other countries are, are fantastic. If you're you know an established brand, you have longer you can do longer lead times. You want things a lot more custom right? You might not be working off a catalog. You might be having your, your own internal designers, uh, b- building your own tech packs, et cetera, right? You know, fantastic. Go, go to Myanmar, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, all these places. Um, but when you need, you know, what, what essentially industry is, which is a private labeled product, right? So you're working off a catalog basis. China, unfortunately, is still king. And even these countries that are, are near China, right, are getting the raw materials from China. So, it's hard to completely cut China out of the equation as much as, you know, people want to. And, you know, we're obviously trying to build as many supply chains outside of China in case you know, geopolitically, like we, we have to kind of resort to that. But, um, but yeah, Ch- China is still, is still fantastic for that. Given the disruptions going on, not only in our space, but the world in general, what does Isaac think his company will look like in the future? Like I mentioned earlier, I think the industry, uh, I think suppliers are going to be selling a lot more direct. I think there's going to be a huge uptick in print on demand, um, and you as as the cost basis of that goes down, and more more mail more more mailing programs, more gifting programs, smarter technology, integrating with more CRMs and HR softwares to kind of automate uh, the gifting process. I think that uh, more and more distributors again are going to make it more creative, do a lot more direct sourcing. I think that, yeah, I'd say those are my those are my biggest predictions for the next five. To, and I think the industry is going to continue to consolidating. I think there's going to be a lot less distributors out there. I think there's going to be less suppliers, um, and I think um, less large suppliers. But I think there are are still going to be um, a lot more um, single, either single product suppliers or 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 direct. Uh, manufacturer suppliers, something like a pop promos, right? That does their manufacturing overseas and then um, is able to uh, ship that and then repackage and then uh, distribute. I'd say those are like my biggest predictions. We also talked about artificial intelligence and other tech that will change the way things are done. I think we're, we're still physical product, 
right? At the end of the day, like, um, I think that a lot of other industries are going to get disrupted um, a lot quicker. But at, at the end of the day, like, physical product is physical product. And, I mean, I, I don't see a ton of, you know, implementation on on it, like, making a, a crazy impact into our space. I would say a lot, a lot of what's going on within like the e-commerce space. So just uh, applying like there, there's so much, there's so much new innovation when it comes to uh, customer experience for uh, showing product, customizing product, um, creating virtual mock-ups. You're, you're seeing a ton of companies in the industry being able to mass mass create tons of different ideas and mock-ups and then uh, be able to present lots of ideas to these customers. So I guess that's where, you know, AI can kind of come into play. Uh, like we can go and start creating, you know, more tailored presentations and, and ideas. And so, and maybe the AI can even start to understand their customer preferences and help make, you know, cool recommendations on merchandise. And, you know, maybe we can get, yeah, a little more creative that, than um, just putting a, another logo, another water bottle. What does Isaac suggest smaller distributors do to up their game to stand out from the crowd? Everyone says this, but like I'm really trying to emphasize it, like niche down the best you can, right? If you can really hone in on a specific niche, you can service that customer better. You can market to that customer better. Um, you can also, if you're very niche down, like you can, you can also start, if you want to source a little bit directly too, like, okay, now you know your exact niche. Now you can find a couple factories that, you know, can sell a product to your, that market that you're trying to sell to that's outside of the industry. So now you have a, a differentiator on a, on a product basis. Um, you can create a whole kind of campaign around that. And uh, if you, if you, still, if you just offer what foreign print offers and you market like foreign print offers, then eventually foreign prints is going to take all your business. What is it that drives Isaac to get up every day and does he consider himself an innovator? I'm just trying to have fun. Just trying to <laughs> uh, I, I would say that, you know, I try to I'm trying to innovate and just not look at the all the structure as like a as a as a wall, like, you know, they are guidelines, but you know, I mean we people are like, Well, are you are you a distributor? Are you a supplier? Like like some of our biggest orders this year have been like partnering with other distributors in our industry and like helping them with their overseas sourcing and like taking, taking on big projects. Like, so what, what does that even make us? Like, are we, what, what are we like? I don't know, but Hey, it's working. Like it's, a, I, I'm loving that business. So um, I'd say, you know, don't take anything too seriously, you know, just have fun with whatever you're doing and think of fun, creative ideas and ways to do business. And, yeah, and then I, I guess I guess that's innovation. I guess that's what you could call it. In addition to his promo business, he's also passionate about making his personal brand a part of his legacy. What I'm trying to build is is a, a strong personal brand right now around product sourcing. So I'm launching now uh, the sourcing guy, uh, thesourcingguy.com. Like at the sourcing guy on TikTok, where I, I I do educational content and guides to teach people how to source from overseas. Um, and that's been a really fun and exciting piece. And, uh, it's, it's been, I, I, I want to really build that up and try to become, you know, the biggest name in when people think of like learning product sourcing, uh, they'll think of like the sourcing guy and I'd love to be able to eventually 
travel to you know unique countries and highlight their unique products and manufacturing make it easy for people to source cool products from you know ecuador or nigeria or in those places so uh, that's kind of like my my BHAG goal like the thing i'm working on as my as my passion piece on the side um and you know like so i guess that that's my that's my short-term legacy at the end of the day the long-term legacy is just he was a he was a fun, nice guy and, you know, always did the, did the right thing. Isaac truly believes in a work-life balance. And although moving to Bali seems like an extreme way to achieve that, he says it's the best thing he's ever done. His business acumen extends well beyond his 25 years, and there's no doubt he will continue to be a major disruptor in an industry where change has always been slow to come. From all of us here at Bromo Corner, thanks for listening to the new profiles. I'm Steve Woodburn, and we'll be back next month with stories of other disruptors and agents of change in the promotional products world. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profiles. Tune in next month for another story of someone who wasn't afraid to dream big, take chances, or shake things up.